Roy, thank you very much. We've had a full morning. Let's stand and take our Bibles, please. John chapter 14, John chapter 14. Look around you. If your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible, would you be kind enough to share your Bible with them? If you do not have a King James Version translation, look around you for one of our members. They will share their Bible with you. I need help from our men today. We have hand trucks we'll be pulling out, and I'm going to ask our men to help Brother Justin and our staff guys. We need to get transport all of these boxes with the Johns and Romans after the morning service and people are gone. We need to get them over to the trailer uh, next door, uh, right by the main auditorium. You guys can help us with that. That'll help us get this cleared out inside the trailer so we can lock it up for uh, Brother Robinson there. John chapter 14, verse 8. John chapter 14, verse 8. Again, thank you for being here in the church services today. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Let's read verse 14 together, if you would, please, all together. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. This morning, I want to continue where we left off last week on the cure for troubled hearts. All of John chapter 14 is about God's cure, God's remedy. It's the only cure remedy for troubled hearts. And uh, I'm thankful yesterday for, we had a men's barbecue. We had a good turnout of our men. Delicious meal, well prepared, well organized by our men. And we had a great message from Pastor Perry Delzell uh, of a neighboring church about an hour distance from here. Great message he brought yesterday on the area of discouragement. And today we're we're just looking just for a few minutes before we let you go about how God gives us a remedy for discouragement or a troubled heart. Now, Father, today we're so thankful for uh, Mrs. Wheeler, Mrs. Lockett, Mark and Taylor following you in scriptural baptism. We thank you, Lord, for the uh, perhaps, I guess, close to 200 of our people that came uh, on, thir- on Wednesday and Thursday to help assemble the Johns and the Romans. And Lord, a good turnout yesterday for the men's barbecue. Very busy time. And then Friday night, I think about our, our college and and teen ministry that was here, and a large number of our young people that were here for that, and discipleship classes. And Lord, we're just thankful today that uh, we're part of the Church of the Living God, which is the pillar and ground of truth. And today, Lord, I pray that you would minister through me from your word to to hearts that are troubled, hearts that are hurting, hearts that are discouraged, souls that feel they're on depletion and empty. We pray in a great way, Lord, that you would help us today. I pray for lives to be restored, marriages to be restored, parents child relationships to be restored. I pray for congregation members that their relationship and fellowship would be restored. And I pray through everything that you do in the service today will help us to remember that we have a great and powerful God who never changes. And thank you today that God, you are on the throne. And God, you have no intention of stepping off that throne. And we thank you today that God, you're all powerful and you have no intention of giving up that power. And today, Lord, we need to be impressed not with nuclear power and not, Lord, perhaps by political power and not by my 
monetary power. We need to be impressed by God's power. The fact that you're a creator God, you're a commander God, and that you're completely God. And so, Father, today, we pray that you'll bring us into a spirit of worshipfulness to you today as we look to you to help our troubled hearts. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We began chapter 14 looking at verse 1. Jesus starts off with his disciples who are bothered and troubled in their hearts. They're bothered by the fact that Jesus has said his hour was come. They knew that he talked about dying on the cross for their sins and rising from the dead. But I don't know about you, but if, you know, if a loved one talks about that they, they feel like they're ready to die and leave this life, I mean, there's just something about that is very, doesn't set very well with you. You just feel very bothered by that statement and grieved by it. And they were very grieved that a, a man of great stature of 33 years of age, they looked at him as, as, as a man, and perhaps for just a moment they forgot that he was more than just a man. He was a God man. He was the son of God. Amen. He was Jesus Christ, God, a God incarnate. And they forgot about that and they were troubled by the fact that he would have to die for their sins. And then on top of that, these men were troubled by the fact that Jesus was going to leave them. And they felt like, you know, all their hope, all their ambitions, all their desires were hanging on Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been in that place, but maybe you've been in the place maybe as a child, as a teenager, or as an adult, perhaps a moment of insecurity where someone important to you was was going to leave your life, or maybe you're going to move away, or something was going on, and you've just felt like you couldn't go on without that person. I don't know if you feel, have ever felt that way, but I can remember being as a, a very young person, feeling that way as very important people that I had great dependence upon were about to move on a different phase of life. I said, I can't make it without you. And these men were feeling that way. They were thinking, Jesus, you've taught us how to train, you've trained us to serve you. you you've, you're passing the baton to us. You want us to serve you, but we feel like we can't do it. We really don't comprehend all of this. And so Jesus said in John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. Now he put his finger on the, on the problem there. And the problem was found in verse 1. The problem had to do with their faith. He said, you believe in God, you need to believe also in me. And you'll notice here as we get into chapter 14, several times he talks about believing in faith. He said in verse 10, believest thou not? He said in verse 11, believe me. He said in verse 11 again, believe me. He said in verse 12, believeth on me. In each of those situations, Christ is reinforcing the importance of faith. You see, these men were at a place in life, their hearts were troubled. Listen this morning, listen, little faith, much fear, great faith, little fear. Much belief, we can get things done. Little belief, we won't get many things done. Our hearts are troubled. Sometimes we look at the magnitude of what we have to do. We look at the vision being cast for our lives and for a church. We think about the challenges given to us just in a, in, a, in a few weeks from now. We're going into our worldwide missions conference. Our theme is mission possible because missions is possible, amen? Missions is not impossible, it's possible. And uh, God, God wants to work through you and me. But many times if we, we have never exercised great faith and, and uh, perhaps we've grown up with, an, in, in, with, a, uh, in, in, with some sense of insecurity in our lives. Perhaps maybe we had a, a dominating personality in our lives and other people made decisions for us and we feel very insecure about what to do. We feel like we can't get it done. That's where these men were at. These were grown men. These were men that were fishermen and tax collectors and other occupations, but they've been in the shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ for almost three years and Jesus talked about going away. Their hearts were troubled and they wanted to know, how can we go on for God? 
What I want you to see this morning as they struggled with who Jesus was and how they struggled, how they would continue the work he'd called them to do and how they struggled with how they could be successful without him. I want you to know this morning that in John chapter 14, verses 8 to 14, Jesus Christ, God who is incarnate and God who's all powerful, as the choir sang about this morning, shows us today the cure for our troubled hearts. Notice number one today, we see that the first thing that Jesus tells us is a grounded persuasion. Notice in verses 8 to 11, Jesus speaks to us about a grounded persuasion. In verse 8, we see another one of the disciples speaking up. Last week, we saw Thomas speaking up. And Thomas is speaking up, revealed what was in the heart, his heart, but also in the hearts of the disciples that they were showing some sense of insecurity. And we see another sense of insecurity in verse 8. Philip speaking up said, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. Now that's very troubling when you read that because they were not convinced that Jesus and the Father were one and the same. You see, as you read through the Gospel of John, one of the things that the Holy Spirit is trying to uh, help settle in our hearts is a conviction and reinforce to us that the Godhead is all the same. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all co-equal. They're all co-eternal. They're all co-essential. They're all powerful together. They are unique in terms of their, their role but they are one and the same they all have no beginning they all have no end they all are in, invisible and yet if you wouldn't Jesus may be invisible in that sense but they're all invisible in that sense but yet in the other sense that they're all powerful that time doesn't change God the events don't change God personalities don't change God God is all powerful but you know here's Philip speaking on behalf of the disciples Lord show us the father and it suffices us they said show us who the father is you see they're like many of us we have to see before we believe. And Jesus was showing them that true faith is not seeing first and believing. True faith is believing and then realizing we can see from there. God has to open our eyes and take away the blindness so that we can see. And so Jesus speaks to them in verses 10 to 12 and places strong emphasis, as I said earlier, about the words believing or faith. Look again at verse 10. Jesus said, believest not thou, thou not that I am in the Father? He was saying, look, you know, I don't need to show you the Father. Look at me and you've seen the Father. He said, you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. You see me, you know who the Father is. He says, believest thou not that I am in the Father? And then in verse 11, Jesus said, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Now there were many manifestations God gave them. Jesus gave them during his earthly ministry leading up to this, that he and the Father were one and the same. But they had a hard time grasping because of their faith. And there again, notice he says later on in verse, verse 12, he says, verily, verily, I say to you, he that believeth on me. You see, their problem can be boiled down to verse 1 and these verses, the same problem we have. The same thing, the same reason why our hearts get troubled and we stutter and we get a little insecure and we struggle with things. Their problem was a faith problem. Their problem was a trust problem. You see, trusting is the essence of the Christian life. We begin the Christian life by believing and trusting that Jesus Christ is God. By believing and trusting that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Trusting is letting go and letting God. Trusting is leaning all your weight upon Him. Trusting is letting go of your fears and laying hold of God. Trusting is believing 
believing that God is, that God is the one who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, that God is everlasting, that God is mighty, that God is wonderful, that even as Isaiah 9, 6 revealed long before even Jesus even spoke the words he did, he said that Jesus Christ himself is the everlasting Father, that he's wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. God is, God not was, God is. Can I hear an amen to that, amen? God was not, it's not God was, God is. God is today. God, listen, if you don't believe that God is, you're not gonna be able to get your prayers answered. If you don't believe that God is through Jesus Christ, you're never gonna grow in your faith. We must proceed and get out of the nursery of faith and get into, if you would, at least the first grade of faith of understanding today that God is. Listen to this this morning. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust who Jesus Christ is. Listen to what the psalmist David said. There ever was a man in the Bible who learned trusting God. It was David. David said in Psalms 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. Listen to this. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices and with my song will I praise him. Later again, David said after a great trial with Saul, King Saul, he said this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed or happy is the man that trusteth in him. At a time of trial, David said in Psalm 62, 8, Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. And then, of course, a very familiar passage that you learn as a young Christian growing along the way. And if you've never learned this, I hope you'll latch on to it. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. The Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not into thine own understanding, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths be not wise in thine own eyes fear the Lord and depart from evil the prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 26 3 thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee oh listen tonight are you is your mind bothered is your mind racing do you have anxiety do you have fear do you have insecurity are you are you over trying to overcome depression you over trying to trying to overcome anxiety disorders oh man courage this morning latch hold of Isaiah 26 26.3, that will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusted thee. Get your mind off the problem. Get your mind off the fear. Get your mind off the insecurity. Get your mind off the monetary debt. Get your mind off the person who's threatening you. And get your mind on Jesus Christ this morning, because you can trust in him. You can trust him that he'll get you through that. I remind you this morning, the prophet Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 17.7, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. May I tell you this morning, you can trust him. You can trust God. You can trust him with your fears. You can trust him with your future. You can trust him with your little faith. You can trust him about the big decision you've got to make. You can trust him about the next job opportunity. You can trust him about those dark areas of your life. You can trust him today. I like what Dr. S.M. Lockridge wrote as a psalm and as a poem one years ago. He said this, he is unparalleled and unprecedented. He is the centerpiece of civilization. He's the superlative of all excellence. He is the sum of human greatness. He is the source of divine grace. His name is the only one able to save, and his blood is the only power that is able to cleanse. His ear is open to the sinner's call. His hand is quick to lift the fallen soul, and he's the eternal lover of us all. You can trust him. He supplies mercy for the struggling soul. He sustains the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes with the wounded and the broken. He strengthens the weak and the 
weary. He guards and he guides the wanderer. He heals the sick and he cleanses the leper. He delivers the captive and he defends the helpless. And he binds up the broken hearted. He's for you and you can trust him. Jesus is the key of all knowledge. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. He's the key to all knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance and he's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness and he's the gateway to glory and you can trust him. Jesus is enough. How many believe that this morning? Amen. Jesus is enough. He's the all-sufficient king. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. And by the way, he's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven and he's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And yes, again, you can trust him and rejoice in this, my friend. He is a sovereign king. There is no gauge to measure his limitless love. There's no barrier to block his blessings outpoured. He's enduringly strong and he is entirely supreme. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally faithful. He's imperially merciful and he is Jesus, God's son, and you can trust him. I wish I could more accurately describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invisible. He's irresistible. You can't outlive him, and by the way, you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't fault him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death could not conquer him, and the grave couldn't hold him. He's the Alpha, and he's the Omega. He's the first and the last. He's the God of the future, and he's the God of the past. When we rise to speak his name again and again, Jesus, Jesus, he is Jesus. And by the way, brother and sister Christ, you can trust him. You can trust him this morning. I'm telling you this morning, we thank God today. We need a grounded persuasion. If we want to overcome a troubled heart, we must be persuaded in our heart that we've got to rise in our faith and we've got to rise in our trust. And we must trust him. Oh, may I say to you today, if you're having trouble today with some trouble heart, you can trust God today for your needs. Number one, we must have a grounded persuasion. Number two, would you consider a gracious promise? The Bible says in verse 13 to 14, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, that will I do. This gracious promise centers on the power of the name of Jesus Christ. It centers on a name that it has all authority in it, there's an authority in that name of Jesus. I don't remember how many of you remember the old crime shows where the law enforcement would come and they would pound on someone's door and they would say something like this. They would say, open up in the name of the law. Of course, as you watch those programs, the person behind the door knew there was an authority behind them. They would open the door. Today, if the police come ringing on your doorbell, knocking the door, they say, you'll say, who is? They'll say, it's the police. Please open your door. You recognize that authority, and of course, you'll open that door. Of course, if you go to work, sometimes your immediate supervisor, you know, you may be given a responsibility, then your immediate supervisor may come, and the name representing his corporation or the company, he might say, listen, I need you to stop what you're doing and do something else. You do it because of the authority behind that name. There there is a great authority behind the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We sang this morning, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Let bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. There is authority in the name of Jesus. The apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. 
Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now this morning there's a lot of things pulling you in different directions for its time and for attention, but I beg you this morning to recognize today that there is a day coming. If you're not doing it now, the day's coming. Every knee shall bow and every Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I would say this morning, a good warm-up and practice for eternity. Let's just say today, if you would as a congregation, Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Let's say it together. Jesus Christ is Lord. Would you say it with me, please? Jesus Christ is Lord. He must be Lord of all. He must be Lord over our finances. He must be Lord over our decisions. He must be Lord in our career. He must be Lord in our worship. He must be Lord in our singing. He must be Lord in our church attendance. He must be Lord in our involvement and in our service for God. We see authority in the name of Jesus. But you notice in these verses, there's access to the name of Jesus. Interestingly, as we think about the cure for troubled hearts and the promise found in the name of Jesus Christ, here in John 14, verses 13 and 14, and then again the next chapter, John 15, 16, and then again in John 16, verses 23, 24, and I think 26, the Lord Jesus Christ six different times in this, this entire discourse he's giving in the upper room speaks to the disciples and you and I about the importance of asking in Jesus' name, of coming and asking his name. Look again at verses 13 and 14. And whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, that will I do. In John 15, 16, uh, he says, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And then he says, and accompanying that, and whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 16, 24, he says to his believers, he talks about their troubled heart. He said, hitherto you've asked nothing in my name, asking you shall receive that your joy may be full. Now there's access to God, the Father through the name of Jesus Christ. Remember, they were saying, show us the Father and it suffices us. So he's trying to help their troubled heart. What you notice in this axis, there's permission through the name of Jesus. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we're not sprinkling some golden dust or something, and it's not a magic name that gives us something. We're asking in permission through the name of Jesus Christ. We come to God in prayer with reverence and worshipfulness. We're asking the name of Jesus Christ for God to work on our behalf. This is similar to someone saying, uh, so telling someone else, tell them that I said it is okay. Tell them that I said you can do this. You're going in the presence or the permission of that name. So we see the access gives us permission, but the access also allows us performance. God is working through the name of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13 again. Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name. When we pray, if you're learning how to pray, we always close our prayer by saying in Jesus' name. Now we don't do that because it's a cute formula, and we don't do that just because of the sake of it. We realize when we pray, we must come to God through the name of Jesus Christ. And so he says, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, notice, that will he do. That's, his, that's not only permission, but that is a performance. That will he do. God will perform on behalf of that. God, when we come with sincere hearts, we come with a heart that's clean of sin, and we come with a heart desiring God to do something, we see the permission through the name of Jesus, not the performance of God the Father. Isn't it interesting? There's authority in the name of Jesus. There's access in the name of Jesus. But we see there's action in the name of Jesus. Would you notice something else here? 
When we ask, and by the way, prayer is asking. When we ask, if we don't ask, it's not going to happen. The very first thing Jesus tells us about prayer is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus is on, the, is on a mountaintop. He's giving what we call the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapter 5. And he's speaking there in Matthew 7, 7. He goes to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he taught them a great principle of prayer that still applies to us. He says, ask and ye shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For he that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and he that knocketh shall be opened unto you. Now listen, prayer is asking. Prayer is asking God for permission. Prayer is asking God to intervene for us. Prayer is telling God, I can't do it, but you can. Prayer is getting God involved in every area of your life. Prayer is realizing we're accessing ourselves and stretching our faith to get a hold of the resources of God. These disciples were troubled, but listen, they were not in the place where they needed to be, where they were asking Jesus to perform for them and work on their behalf. And so he's teaching them to ask. Over there in Isaiah chapter 7, we have the story there in the book of Isaiah about a king by the name of Ahaz. King Ahaz was not a very good king, but God was merciful to him and God loved him. And King Ahaz had two nemesis, two enemies. He had the king of Israel who was against him. He had the king of Syria that was against him. And both these two formed an evil confederacy to attack the king of Judah, king of Ahaz. And God came to Ahaz in love. And God came to him out of mercy. By the way, let me just encourage this morning. Maybe we feel like we're struggling in our faith. And maybe we feel like we're not as close to God as we could be. We're struggling with some sin in our life or some, some area where just, it just seems like things are not happening. May I remind you today, God is still merciful. Amen? God is merciful. God is there for you. And God appeals to you and he appeals to me during our moment of weakness and our moment of struggle. He gives us opportunity to get it right and that's what God was doing with King Ahaz and he said to King Ahaz in Isaiah 7 he said look Ahaz do this he says ask, ask of me of the heaven for height and the earth beneath in other words he, he gave him an open checkbook he said look okay there's no ceiling there's no bottom ask what you will ask what me ask me he's saying but listen just ask me for deliverance but he's saying there's no ceiling there's no bottom. And the amazing thing is, King Ahaz, who had this, this, this message given him by the prophet Isaiah, who was told to ask, he says, I will neither ask nor tempt the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but somebody needed to check that man's head out. He had a lot of rocks for brains, amen? Because he, God was giving him an open opportunity to ask. And he says, you can ask. There's no ceiling. There's no bottom. It's an open checkbook. And he said, I will not ask. Listen, the first action is you got to ask. By the way, the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've got to tell Jesus, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I invite you into my heart today. You've got to ask. Christian, the starting point in praying, you've got to learn how to ask. But secondly, not only must we, must we ask, but notice we, we must, we must uh, secondly, notice in verse 15, we must be obedient to God. Sometimes we quote verses 13 and 14 and we forget about verse 15. Verse 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's all tied into that. You know, there's got to be obedience when we, we come to God in prayer. We've got to be living for God. I was explaining to the Taylors and Miss, Mrs. Lockett and Mrs. Wheeler. I said, now, thank God today that baptism is the first step of our obedience in, in Jesus Christ here. And God wants us to live an obedient life. Here's what the Apostle John learned from all this. Later on, John would requote something like this. And he said this in 1 John 3, 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Hey, listen, if your prayers are bouncing off of 
of heaven. Your prayers are not making past the ceiling. If your prayers are not getting answered, you might want to ask yourself this question. Is it because I'm not obedient to the Lord? Is it because I'm not asking in faith? Is it because I'm not living for God? We have to evaluate that. I've told this story many times before, but such an appropriate story for this, 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 this passage here as we consider these, this wonderful, gracious promise. Back during the Civil War there, President Abraham Lincoln sent an order out that all the soldiers had to stay on the field and that no one was allowed to come home on furlough. A particular soldier, a young man, had gotten word that his, his young wife had incurred an illness and was not doing very well. And she wrote to him and she said, Honey, can you please come home? Could you gas for a furlough to come home for a few days? I just need to see you. I think if I can see you, I'll recover my ailment. And of course, this newlywed husband was just grieved in his heart that his wife was suffering and, and he was, at, was not at her side and she was declining in health. He so wanted to get to her. And he made his way, he made his way over to Washington, D.C. there and he, he asked for permission to see the president. And he went through first the the, the, the the, through the, 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 the military powers to be. And he asked him, he said, went through his generals and chain of command. He says, is there any way you can, you can override the, the rule of the president and, and allow me a furlough so I can go home and be my, my wife? She's not doing very well health-wise. And every one of those men in the chain of command said, no, sir, you cannot. You've got to stay on the, you got to get back on the battlefield. You shouldn't even be here in Washington, D.C. I know you're, you're, you got an officer approval to come here on your day off, but you need to go back there. You need to get back on the field. Well, that soldier was discouraged, and he just sat there down by the, by the White House there on a, on a little bench. He was just sitting there, and he was crying at his head in his hands. He was crying there. And a little boy came up and saw him crying. He said, soldier, what's the problem? And the soldier looked at him. He says, who are you, young man? He said, well, my name is Tad. I'm Tad Lincoln. He said, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the president's son. He said, well, Tad, he says, you know, my, my wife is not doing very well. Her health is declining, and she, she needs help so badly, and I want to go home to see her, but there's no way I can get a furlough. And I've tried to get access to your father, the president, but there's no way I can get to them. Everyone in the chain of command said I can't go. And little Tad Lincoln, who was just a little boy, did something very unusual. He took this soldier's hand, slipped his hand in that big man's hand. He held that man by the hand and said, so could you get up? And the soldier got up, and it was a little child leading him. He took that soldier, holding him by the hand. He said, follow me, and he led him all the way up to the White House. And as he made his way up to the stairs and got to the place where the Oval Office was, he went there, and there were these soldiers standing there, and they said, what are you doing? He said, well, this soldier, I want to bring him to see the president. They said, well, no one's allowed to see the president right now. He's very busy. He said, but you've got to let me come. He said, I'm the president's son. They said, the president's very busy. You cannot go. Well, there, there was this commotion outside the door, and President Lincoln got up from his study there and opened the door. No one expected him to open the door, and as he opened the door, he stood there, and that the very tall, gaunt figure, but a very commanding figure, he stood there, and he said, what's all the noise out here? And he looked down, he saw his son Tan. Before the other men could say anything, he said, Dad, Dad, he said, this soldier needs to see you. He said, can he come in? He said, sure, man, let him come in. And he led the soldier in, and the soldier with tears still coming down his eyes couldn't believe that this little boy had let him access into the, pre the president's presence. And he explained to the president about his wife's situation and how he needed a furlough. And without any further ado, President Lincoln sat down, he took a piece of paper, and he wrote an exception to the rule that he just passed. And he gave this man an opportunity to go home to see his wife. Hey, listen, this morning, that's what Jesus Christ does for you and me, amen? Jesus Christ takes you and me into the very presence of God the Father. He bypasses all the other chains of command. He bypasses everything that would be a hindrance along the way and as long as our heart is right with God and we're obedient to the Lord and there's no sin in our life our Lord Jesus Christ is our great mediator as our advocate with the Father he leads us into the very presence of God as he leads us into the presence of God we find that God the Father performs or works on our behalf let me encourage you this morning don't pray less pray more all you've got to do is ask Jesus today well this morning there's a, a cure for troubled hearts a grounded persuasion we must have faith in God 
you could trust him today. The cure for troubled heart is a graceful, a grace-filled promise. As we close this morning, would you consider one more thing? Go back with me to look at verse 12. So notice in verse 12, we see the cure for troubled heart results in a glorious product. You see, when we're trusting, we let go of our restraints and our insecurities and our fears. We're having faith in God. We're praying right. We're asking in the name of Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful product that God gives us. Sure, these men were troubled by the fact that Jesus was going away. And sure, these men were troubled that he was going to die on the cross and Christ is trying to bring this all together. But as we look at verse 12, we must not forget these men were troubled by the fact that Christ was going to leave them and go ascend to heaven. And they were thinking in terms of their limited power, their weakened condition. How can we carry on the work? How can we serve and serve effectively? How can we be successful? Jesus, you don't understand. I'm just a fisherman. All I know how to do is cast the line and cast the net. Jesus, how can I be successful? I was a tax collector, and, and, and I'm, people, they know my reputation, and I don't know they're really going to accept me. Jesus, I think about, about one of them, uh, about the one who was a zealot, Simon the Zealot. I think about him. He's saying, well, I, I'm a zealot by nature, and they're going to think of me as being very impulsive by nature. I mean, these men and all their fears and concerns. How can we serve the Lord? And I think that's a concern as we, this 21st century church we're in, I think that many Christians have this concern, young and old, new Christians and seasoned Christians. I think a lot of us have a concern. How can we serve God? How can we serve God effectively? It seems like I can't be like a brother Denny. It seems like I can't do like this other brother here. I can't play the piano like brother Vaughn. It seems like I can't do like this and I can't do like that. I don't have this skills and all these things. And Jesus Christ wants to calm our fears and help us rely on today. Yes, serving God is serving God is a requirement, but we must understand serving God is a work of faith, and serving God requires much prayer. And as we combine faith and prayer together, listen, Jesus describes in verse 12 how we can get the job done. There is a product, there is an end result that he gives us that's not from you and not from me, but from God above. Notice verse 12, what he says to us. He says this to us, verily, verily, that's a way of saying truthfully, truthfully. He said, I'm telling you today, I don't want to repeat it again. This is all truth. He says, verily, verily, I say to you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. Now Jesus is addressing every trouble that they've got in their hearts. And this was a big one right here. He's talking to them about serving God, honoring the Lord. Every one of God's people need to serve the Lord. Amen? Every one of God's people should be involved in doing something for Christ. And so notice Christ in describing this glorious product, he gives us an expectation. He says this, the works that I do shall he do also. Now that encourages my heart because the Lord not only expects us to serve, but he wants us to serve just like he served the Father. Can I give you some thoughts this morning? You say, well, Pastor Fall, I'm not sure what I can do. Well, listen, you can pray for other people. Amen? You can be a good witness and a soul winner. You can witness. You can give a gospel tract to somebody. You can show compassion and serve others. You can be an encourager. You can invite people to church. 
Uh, you can participate. Some of you men can help participate in lifting these boxes and helping them put us, helping us put these boxes on some, some hand carts. And we take one of those carts down to the trailer and put them inside the trailer. Uh, some of you can get involved during the week in helping us with cleaning and maintenance around the church. I mean, it just doesn't happen by osmosis. I mean, we have to be involved in cleaning and maintenance. Some of you can get involved in a serving committee. Some of you can perhaps uh, maybe get out of your comfort zone and get up a little bit early in the morning if you're, if you're already up early in the morning. How about be a bus worker? How about get on one of our buses and help us in, on a Saturday. Why don't you give me about three hours on a Saturday and go knock on some doors and help us get some children to ride our buses there. And Some of you can perhaps go study and be a class B driver and help us to drive a vehicle so we can transport people in. And some of you can perhaps help us to be involved in special cleaning projects or work projects around the church. And maybe some of you can help assemble some things like we did with the Johns and Romans. I mean, there's many, many things everyone can do. Some of you can help me bring food to someone who's needy. Some of you can be involved in using your spiritual gift for the glory of God. There's this expectation where Jesus said, the works that I do, shall he do also. Listen, we can do what God wants us to do. There's an expectation, but notice something else in verse 12. We can serve God, and we can do something. Age is not a restriction. You're not too young, and you're not too old. Aren't you glad about that this morning, man? You're not too young, and you're not too old. Everyone can do something for God. There's expectation, but there's something else that needs to grasp our heart from verse 12, because there's an exponential, because Christ told us something in verse 12 that's even bigger than that. He said, the works that I do shall he do also. Notice this phrase, greater works than these shall he do. Now, Christ did some great things. He did some powerful things. There are some things we cannot repeat. I mean, we cannot raise the dead, okay? And uh, we're, we, we can't help somebody who's had a, uh, ish, uh, you know, someone who's had a disease. We can't heal them. And someone, we can't take five loaves and two fishes and multiply them. I mean, there's just some miraculous things Jesus did we can't do. He turned water into wine. We're not going to be able to do that. But Christ made a remarkable statement. He says, greater works than these shall he do. Now, there's some things he left for us to complete. And he allowed that during our lifetime that we'd have many more years than Christ had in his ministry, many more years to serve him, many more opportunities opening up, and many more things that can be done. And can I tell you today, I think of the work of the Apostle Paul greater works than these shall he do. Paul did greater works than Jesus and the fact that the gospel was limited through Jesus' ministry just a few areas. Through Paul's ministry, the gospel went east and the gospel went west. The gospel went throughout of all of modern-day Greece and modern-day Turkey. As he made his way through modern-day Greece, down in the area of Corinth, it made his way westward all across Europe. Greater works than these shall he do. I think of today in our 21st century as some great missionaries and men of God who are serving God and being used of the Lord. I think this morning of Dr. Rick Martin and the Elo Baptist Church. Dr. Rick Martin, which, who I wish we could have be with our church, went to the Philippines somewhere around 1975. Dr. Rick Martin went there. And here he is. We're about, about very similar in age, but this man is just, he's just addicted himself to the ministry. Great ministry there on, 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 in, in the city of Elo, Elo. There are over 6,000, perhaps even maybe as many 6,500 works that have been established since 1975. You can found that. 6,500 works. They say statistically there could be one new work starting somewhere around the world every six or seven days because of what Dr. Rick Martin started in Elo, Elo. He started with nothing. And there in Elo, 
Elo Baptist, if you go to Elo Baptist Church on a midweek service, they'll have easily 2,000 people in attendance on a midweek service. They've got missionaries in countries where we could not send Westerners in. He's got missionaries doing a great work in Haiti. He's got missionaries doing a great work in areas of Africa we cannot get into. He's got missionaries doing great work throughout the Philippine Islands. I mean, they're doing a great work for God. Think with me, 6,000 plus work, greater work than these shall he do. I think of my good friend there in, in Laguna Province there, there over in, 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 over there in the city of San Pedro, Dr. Ed Lorena and Christian Bible Baptist Church. And Dr. Lorena, you'll see a video from him greeting our church for our missions conference in a, in a couple Sundays from now. Dr. Ed Lorena just celebrated 40 years in ministry. Dr. Ed Lorena started with nothing. He, he decided to start his ministry 40 years ago in the city of San Pedro. He started knocking on doors and giving a gospel tract and winning people to Christ. If you go over there to the area of San Pedro, it is a great work of faith. But since that time, over 200 works have been established around the world, majority of them in the, in the area of all throughout the Philippines. Dr. El Lorena has thriving works in the country of Taiwan, in the country of Vietnam, in the country of Singapore, in the country of Thailand. He's got works in Dubai. You cannot hardly go anywhere where there's a large Filipino presence without finding someone that was one to Christ through the ministries of Dr. El Lorena. 200 plus works. Bible says, Jesus said, greater works than these shall he do. I think of a good missionary friend of ours, Dr. Edgar Fagali. Dr. Edgar Fagali is Lebanese by background. Edgar Fagali is one of God's great heroes working in a restricted area of the world. He is in the Middle Eastern area reaching souls for Christ, starting churches, training men for the ministry. Dr. Ed, uh, Edgar Fagali started the first Baptist church in, in Iraq, Baghdad, Iraq. It's still going on and thriving today. But their works established men being trained in Iraq and in Egypt, throughout the northern Af African nations and in Lebanon, places where no Westerner can go, places which are very, very dangerous for anybody to work in. And there under the radar screen. They're doing a great work for God. Greater work than these shall he do. I think of there in the country of India, Dr. Sam Thomas, who's a second generation missionary. Dr. Thomas there, who again, who succeeded and took over the work from his father. Over 200 churches spread throughout that area of India where they're at, in the area of Kerala and places like that, where great works of God being done. I mean, God is using their training men and men graduating year after year serving God. You see, Jesus knew what he was saying in verse 12. He says, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. Here's what Jesus was saying. You've got a troubled heart. I'm going to the Father but unless I go to the Father, you will not experience what it means to exercise faith. Unless I go to the Father, you will not understand what it means to ask in my name and the Father shall do it for you. I want to give comfort to us this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ and maybe someone who's not saved that this and God is concerned about your troubled heart. He comes to address that troubled heart. We know today that we can trust him. We know today that perhaps Perhaps our faith needs to grow and our faith needs to increase. And we know today that we can come to God in prayer and ask in Jesus' name and it shall be done that we can see great fruit and greater works than these shall he do. Maybe this morning God is speaking to us about the trouble in our heart. And maybe the trouble stems from the fact we need more faith. We need to believe more. We need to pray more. We need to see God and do more for the Lord. I want to encourage you this morning. Put your faith and trust in the Lord. You can trust him. He's God all glorious. He's God on the throne. He's God who's able to perform on your behalf and you can trust him. And today I want to encourage you if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior the Bible says whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Romans 10 13. You can call on the name of the Lord this morning and you can be saved from your sins. You can make sure that heaven's your home. You can be born again into the family of God. You can trust him today. Would you trust him? Would you believe in him? Would you increase your praying? Would you do more for Christ? Would you serve him? You can do that today because there's a cure for troubled hearts.